Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast. This is an interview style show that talks to leaders who are purpose driven. I started to notice a pattern amongst folks who are fulfilled and lived in alignment. They walk different, they know why they spend time doing their work, and they are fueled by impact. I am excited for you to listen to this episode with Rihanna. As you will learn, uh, we met in university and I've always admired her hard work and tenacity. And what I love about this conversation was how detailed she was about her move to a new country and what it was like adjusting to a new environment after being established and comfortable and growing in her city of Toronto. This is a great episode for anyone thinking about moving to a new place and may have a little bit of fear about taking that leap and and really betting on themselves, Um, even if it means starting afresh and starting new and jumping into the unknown. And so Rihanna gets really um, into the nitty gritty around her own experiences doing that. And she used um, the avenue of school um, to actually make that transition for her. So yeah, what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 26 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hailey, and today I am here with the incredible Rihanna Page Hardy. How are you doing, Rihanna? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing really well. And it was so lovely to to chat again. I mean, this is it's been a couple of years since we chatted over the phone, and like we've been chatting back and forth on online on social. But to definitely hear and catch up and see how you've been is um, is wonderful. And I'm so proud yeah. of you. I'm so proud of oh, you. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to talk again. And I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. Absolutely. Um, so Rihanna is originally from Toronto. You know, she decided to come down to the University of Ottawa to pursue her degree at the Telfer School of Management. And, you know, from what I remember, Rihanna was very involved in school. She was super diligent in her studies. And, um, you know, through involvement in like different student-led organizations, um, that's where we actually met. And that's how our cross, our paths crossed. Um, we were Career Center ambassadors together. Yes, and, um, yes, we were. <laughs> and, you know, I remember you really being a part of the community, using your skills to move projects forward and bring up creative ideas. I really remember you being a go-getter. And um, after school, uh, Rihanna spent about three years in the workforce. So she moved back to Toronto. She spent uh, three years working in the finance space for a commercial real estate company. And then she decided to apply to study in, in the UK. And so she decided to make a career change and is currently working to become a criminal and family barrister at the Bar of England and Wales. So she had recent, she recently completed the academic portion of her legal qualifications and is awaiting her call to the Bar while working on her Master's of Law. Rihanna currently works at Victim Support, an independent charity in England and Wales that provides specialist practical and emotional support to victims and witnesses of crime. So thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for chatting. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your origin story too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, we, we connected originally through University of Ottawa. We were both at Telford together. Um, so I started my journey there uh, doing a finance degree, uh, which I, I absolutely loved. Um, I've always found it really interesting and challenging. And when I finished at the Telford School of Management, I ended up moving on to work in the commercial real estate space. Um, specifically, I was a development analyst, so I was on the financial side of things at a company called uh, the Cadillac Fairview Corporation. Um, so I was based in Toronto for a few years. Um, and while I was there, uh, I was lucky enough actually that my employer helped to fund me to take a project management qualification, um, which I found really interesting. Um, and that was something that I found I was able to bring into my role there, but it's also still benefited me, um, even in, in law today, I'd say as well, actually. Um, but as I was working there, it, you know, it was, it was a difficult job. Um, specifically the team I worked on, um, we were the only team that did what we did in our company. We're a very small team. So our services were in quite high demand. So we, you know, we, it was a difficult job, worked a lot of hours. Um, and while it challenged me and I found it enjoyable, I just, I didn't love it and it didn't ignite a passion in me. Um, and I, you know, I'd been there for a few years and I was sort of getting to the point where I was starting to think, right, maybe it's time for me to either, you know, consider a bit of a career change or, you know, look at going back to school. So I had always had law school in the back of my mind. Um, I think I first started thinking about it uh, in high school, actually, because I was on the debate team and I, I loved that sort of discussion and I loved challenging ideas. Um, but it sort of stayed in the back of my mind um, until I got to this point with my career in Toronto. And I thought to myself, you know, if I'm thinking about making a career change um, and thinking about doing something different, why not push myself a bit? Why not tr try something you know, really new and, and really step outside of my comfort zone and just see what I can do. So I'd actually had a few friends who, they did their undergrads at Queen's University, um, but as part of their programs, did exchange programs. Um, so some of them lived in the UK and in Europe for their undergrad, and they just had the most phenomenal, phenomenal time. Um, they did so much traveling. They just, you know, it, it was a different educational experience and I thought well if I'm considering law school why not you know expand my horizons and and maybe look at going um, internationally so I ended up applying to law schools in the UK um, which because I'd already done an undergrad program um, and had some work experience they actually had a path for me to apply to, which was called the GDL, so that's the Graduate Diploma of Law. Right. Um, okay. So that's that was a year-long program, and the way that works is it kind of functions as a conversion year for people who come from that different sort of background. So they take essentially what are the first two years of, um, you know, your standard law school, um, all your sort of typical courses and they condense it down into a one-year program. So you don't take any electives, you just do those core courses. Uh, you come out with this diploma and then, so that was what I did um, when I first moved to Cardiff in 2017. Um, so I spent a year doing that. Uh, when I completed that, I applied to sort of what part two of this process was, which um, 
in England and Wales, it's still a practicing law is, is still uh, two separate um, practices. It's you either become a barrister or you become a solicitor. Whereas in Canada, obviously, when you graduate law school, um, the, they've joined that so that you become a barrister and solicitor. So just you know, a, br a brief overview of the difference is you can kind of think as a barrister is the person who would be actively in court every day or most days of the week. Um, so they're doing a lot more advocacy. It's a lot more, you know, standing up, working one-to-one -one with your clients, presenting to a judge, whereas solicitors traditionally, um, you're sort of doing a lot more of the background work or you would do more corporate work. So there's a lot of solicitors who are hired into uh, private corporations as well who would be in-house lawyers um, that you know that's that's sort of a very broad overview um, but kind of just gives an idea mm -hmm. so when I finished the GDL I had to make a decision um, I've always loved public speaking uh, advocacy is one of the things that really drew me to law so for me I felt like pursuing the barrister route was the best fit um, so I applied um, to the BPTC, which is the Bar Professional Training Course. Um, I stayed at Cardiff University for that, and that's what I've been working on this past year. So yeah, I've just completed the academic portion um, of that program. I am doing my master's alongside of it, but I'm going to be submitting my dissertation in the early new year. So just awaiting um, my final results right now. Yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the reason that I really wanted to chat with you, yes, advocacy is important. Yes, you love public speaking and you're not afraid to challenge ideas and, and bring your own creative ideas to the table. And, um, you know, this transition to something, you said you wanted to look for something that was outside of your comfort zone, which I'm fascinated by. I'd love for you to talk about your thought process too. You said, you know, why not? What's the, did you ask yourself, like, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and then when you were looking at schools, um, what was your, did you apply to a whole bunch of different schools across Europe or just the one that you, just Cardiff University? Yeah, so um, I, I did apply to a few schools. Uh, so when I was sort of, once I made the decision that I was going to look internationally, um, the one thing that I, that I even though I was willing to go outside of my comfort zone, the one thing I did want to make sure of um, was that I stayed in a country that also practiced common law because um, there are a number of European countries that do have civil law. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, you know, at home, aside from Quebec, uh, right. Canada is all law so I just wanted to make sure it was something on the same system um, because although I'm quite happy living internationally and abroad um, for the foreseeable future if I did ever want to come back home I wanted to make sure that it was something that I could uh, transfer my qualification yeah so when I was looking at that and then I also wanted to make sure the program I took uh, was an English speaking program um, although I do have like working level French it's I wouldn't be comfortable doing an entire law degree in it um, so that kind of once I narrowed it down kind of left me with the UK um, I've been lucky enough to do some backpacking with some of my friends across the UK um, so I've been to a lot of the major cities uh, and I kind of had a, a good idea of a feel for the cities and I know what I like sort of in terms of a mix of what makes it livable or, or, or what is sort of a good mix for me between, you know, how big of a city and, you know, what the school offerings were and what do the programs look like. So I applied, I think, to about three or four universities. 
Um, I got into all of them, which was phenomenal. I was not expecting that. Um, but I actually decided on Cardiff because they are a part of something called the Russell Group. Um, so that you can almost sort of think of it as like the UK Ivy Leagues. So okay. the Russell Group are um, very research intensive universities. In order to be part of it, it's something that they have the, the um, qualification sort of renewed and looked at every year. Um, they, they have a lot of funding that goes towards research. So it means a lot more on average, I'd say a lot more contact time, um, with your tutors. It's a lot, it's, it's smaller class sizes. It's a bit, it's a bit more interactive, mm -hmm. which I think fits my learning style. Um, so I, I kind of looked at that and compared it to the other programs and I just thought, you know what, like, I didn't think I would have the opportunity to go to a program like that. And I, I thought to myself, that's, you know, an opportunity I may not get again. So, you know, like, let, let's go for the best one I can, I can possibly go for. So I made the decision and I'm, I'm really glad that I did. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a decision I'm definitely happy with. Um, I did stay at Cardiff to do the BPTC. There, there are other providers, but my experience in the GDL, um, was good enough that I, I thought, you know what, this is working for me and I'm enjoying it. So let's stay here. Mm -hmm. And that takes a great degree of self-awareness too, right? Understanding what kind of environments that you thrive in naturally, what type of structure slash institution is going to support my development and, and what I'm looking for. So, um, yeah, what's, yeah, that's actually something I have to credit, um, you Ottawa with because hmm. something I, I talk a ton about, but, um, when I started university, I became aware that I had some sort of additional learning needs that weren't uh, necessarily recognized in my high school. I just don't think my high school necessarily had like people with the qualifications or the resources to recognize this. Um, and so I did struggle and I had to work really, really hard in, in my undergrad at university. Um, but the University of Ottawa has is there to help support students that have additional needs. Um, so when I became aware of sort of what I needed to help me succeed, I actually, I got matched up with a learning specialist. Um, we would meet up and talk about, you know, sort of coping strategies, study strategies, exam taking strategies. Um, and that was sort of in the second half of my undergrad. And it's, it's interesting because if you actually, if you actually go back and look at my transcript, you can see, um, it's like a, a switch sort of got flipped on where I went yeah. from you know, working really hard and in the first two years, but not seeing the results that I thought that I felt like I deserved for the work right. I was putting in to then having the support that I needed. And then suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm getting the results that I finally felt like, like I deserved all along. Right. Um, which, which was a fantastic feeling to feel like, you know, something's actually coming out of your work. So it was kind of through that process that I really became aware of, um, you know, how I learn the best and how things that I can do or things that I need to know to ask for. Um, so when I came to Cardiff, um, I, I was able, you know, they had sort of a similar service available uh, through the university. And so because I already was aware and knew what I needed, I could go to them and say, you know, this is how what I've worked on previously and here's what I need help with 
now. And so they, they were also really good with it. But yeah, it was definitely you um, Ottawa that was the first one to sort of start working with me in that capacity. So I was really thankful for that service. Oh, I love that. And that's why it's so important. Like, even in terms of the involvement portion, like getting involved in extracurriculars, it's funny, but you meet people, you meet faculty members, and then you get exposed to different resources that are available like that that was basically what we were doing as ambassadors career center ambassadors we were that link between the school and and the students right and the student body like these are all the events that are going on these are the workshops you can come in and do a resume critique like people didn't know this stuff um and so having access and access to the information and the people is is a big is a big deal right Oh yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's completely invaluable that that type of resource that's there for students. Because the thing is, I think a lot of people don't realize just the the wealth of services available at a lot of universities. Um, but it's having someone there to signpost you to, you know, what would be most appropriate to you or how to best support you. Um, so yeah, I, I I mean I loved when we had that position because it, it was it was a fun year for me. I certainly learned a lot more about you know, the school that we were at, but mm -hmm. it was also nice to really be able to see how we were adding to another student's experience as well. Right. And so I'd love for you to talk about doing that research too, um, like before you were leaving and then when you got to Cardiff too, like what are some strategies that really helped you um, with the transition, the transition leaving Canada, but then also entering the UK? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one of the things, so, you know, obviously I said I had had friends who had spent, you know, part of their undergrad abroad. So I think right. the one thing is a lot of people will go abroad in, you know, university for maybe a semester or a year. And there's sort of, you know, it, it's not permanent. It's, it's a temporary thing. You've got to start and an end date. Um, when I decided to come abroad for law school, I was doing it with the sort of intention that, it wasn't just going to be for the education portion, but I wanted to sort of stay on practice and like live abroad for a bit. So I was sort of looking more towards the, you know, the five-year outlook as opposed to, oh, just a, a semester or something like that. Um, so when I moved over here, it, it really was completely uprooting my life and restarting. Um, and there's a lot about starting over in a new country that I think you don't become aware of until you do it. Um, so absolutely everything from, you know, day one I arrive, um, you know, you've, you've immediately have to sort out, you know, things like opening a bank account and getting a phone plan. And that's when you become aware of, um, you know, the UK, for example, um, if you're international and you don't have credit in this country yet, they don't actually recognize if you've got good credit from home. Uh, so even though I, I had spent three years <laughs> building up my credit score, um, they didn't recognize that at all. So it was a really weird feeling to feel like I was, I felt like someone had rewound the clock and I was 18 again and starting <laughs> over with credit. Um, because what that meant is you, if you want to get a phone plan, you need to purchase your device outright. You can't get a plan that has both the device and the plan. Because they won't, like, they won't give you the credit for that. Yeah. Um, so absolutely everything I had to start over and build from zero. So like bank account, phone plan, um, finding somewhere to live, 
everything. So it was a, the first few months were a, a lot of like really hard grafting and just, you become aware so quickly um, uh, of all those sort of fine print details. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of glad because my partner came over um, about four months after I did because my, my visa came through first. So he uh, was working uh, back home in Canada for a few months. Then he came over and I'm kind of glad that I was here first because it was nice to be able to figure it out and then be able to help him instead of both of us having, having no idea what to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we had to sort out absolutely everything, even things like getting, you know, a, a national insurance number so that you have a number that you can work. Um, mm. You know, because obviously at home, you know, you if you're, you know, if you're born in Canada, you, you get one, you register and get one. But, you know, if you move here, you know, you've got to go through the whole step of providing documentation, you know, even things like registering for the doctors. And, you know, obviously, because I was here for, I'm, you know, I'm looking at being here for a longer period of time. It's, you know, th those are the sort of big those things. Those are essentials, you really, right? Yeah, like you, you literally can't live and function in a country <laughs> without having all that sorted. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a bit tricky at first. Um, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through, things you have to sort of do in certain order, have to have, you know, certain pieces of documentation. So I, I picked up on that quite quickly. And then, you know, even smaller things, which, you know, might sound silly, but things even like, you know, where can I buy a certain product or, you know, how do I register for a certain service it's you know it sounds silly but when you're when you're new to a country and you know at the time I didn't know anyone in the city I didn't really have anyone I could ask um so it really forces you to stand on your own two feet um don't be afraid to ask for help and just kind of put yourself out there and that's it's a weird feeling to you know be in your 20s and you know I had already gone through that period of getting myself established and feeling kind of secure in Toronto. You know, I had a job, I had a home, I, I was quite secure in myself. Um, to then sort of coming to a new country, feeling vulnerable, you don't know anyone, and you just have to start over completely. Uh, it does really force you to be independent and to just kind of problem solve, figure things out on the fly. Um, it's, it's not an easy process, but uh, it is something I would absolutely recommend to anybody. Um, if, you, if you think, you know, if you're even considering living abroad, I would say do it because you will learn so much about yourself and you will grow so much in a short period of time when you do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a different experience, but I've loved it. Mm -hmm. And how much, um, you're saying that there are a lot of intricacies and like little details probably that you didn't know of before you decided to make the jump and decide to, you know, move over to the UK. Um, mm -hmm. So how much do you, did you feel like you, in terms of planning and stuff, what's your sentiment on, because, okay, the reason I'm asking is sometimes I get crippled with over planning. Like if there's something that yeah. um, I decide that I want to do and it's like, okay, let's do the research. And yes, research is important, but there comes a moment where it's too much and you just kind of got to take the plunge. Absolutely. <laughs> what you, are you? you know, definitely do, do the research. Always, yeah. you know, do the research. Make yourself, make yourself as aware as you can, but I think you do have to accept the fact that there's just certain things in life that you, you can't prepare for. Because, right. so for example, there was a couple things um, 
specifically, I went to go register with a local doctor. It turned out when I had read the website for it, they hadn't actually updated some information on it. So even though I felt like I had read it and prepared and I went in, you know, with all the forms I thought I needed and I'm walking up going, okay, great. This will be, you know, an easy 20 minute thing can just go in, register, get this done. Another thing off the to-do list. Well, that turned out to be like an hour activity <laughs> and I was being asked for things that I had no idea what they were. Right. It just the information hadn't been updated. So I think you have to kind of just be prepared that, that you know, certain things are just going to go sideways. You can prepare all you want, but there's always going to be things that come up. And I think it's learning how to just accept that, adapt, and then say, right, how, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Because I think if you let yourself, if you try to over plan or let yourself become flustered if it doesn't go to plan then you're only going to be holding yourself back right um so yeah i, th- I think just do, do as much as you can in terms of planning but be prepared that you know you can't plan every single every single minute right mm-hmm. and so I, i'd love to transition a little bit into the work and um the program that you chose specifically and what you hope to do as a barrister i mean you have a you know on your profile on linkedin on your linkedin profile you said you say that access to justice and transparency and literacy of legal of services for the every person are, are two of your passions so what kind of change impact do you hope to have with your with your experiences and your skills absolutely yeah so uh, so since i've uh been here in Cardiff I was I've been involved in a few sort of extracurriculars that I think really opened my eyes to where the legal system is not just in the UK but I, I think sort of on, I would even argue globally because I think a lot of this is applicable certainly at home as well um, where you, you know you feel like I think a lot of people feel like the only time that they um, you know talk to a lawyer is when something's gone wrong like, let's be honest, most people don't seek out legal advice unless something has not gone according to plan. And usually when that happens, I think a lot of people perceive there being this really large power imbalance between sort of the judicial system and themselves. And a lot of people often feel like, you know, they don't have the legal literacy to really fully either understand the situation or understand their options Um, or they're in positions where they don't have access um, to the appropriate legal services, usually for financial reasons. Um, And so a lot of times I think people often feel like, you know, it's sort of the big machine working against them and and there's not really much that they can do. Um, So at Cardiff University, I got involved with something called the Innocence Project. um, And that's sort of where I got my first taste of this, I would say. So Innocence Project, um, they're a global organization um, that operate at different higher education institutions, um, and they work to help overturn wrongful convictions. So we work specifically with people who have always maintained their innocence. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not like we're trying to, you know, go back and free someone who's already admitted guilt or anything like that. Um, this is where right. people have always in their innocence um you know a lot of times there's 
you know, more complex issues in their cases. So, for example, we get a lot of um, people who were vulnerable adults. These will be people who had um, complex learning needs or there were communication difficulties. Um, they didn't have appropriate representation or they, you know, there wasn't somebody there to help them work through it, help them understand what was going on through the process. Um, and a lot of times there was, like I said, power imbalances or abuse of power in those situations. Um, and so what we would do uh, through the Innocence Project is we get approached either by the person themselves um, or oftentimes by their family and friends who are still supportive of them. Um, and they'll bring us as, sort of as much as they've got on the case. Um, so you often get this sort of large data dump of files and that could be everything from you know the original case files, investigation files. And essentially what we would do is, is we worked in teams um, which were broken down based on the type of case we were working with. So um, my first year that I was there, I was a team member on uh, historical sex abuse cases. And then in my second year there, I actually became a team leader for that. Um, we saw a, a really large increasing trend of people who had maintained innocence in those cases, uh, trying to bring forward and get their cases reviewed. Um, which can be very difficult in those types of cases because a lot of times it comes down to, you know, kind of one story against another. And especially anytime you're dealing with a historical case, you have the added complexities of, um, you know, evidence being lost or witnesses no longer being due is, we would call it investigating the investigation. So we kind of lay everything out and create this, we would create, timelines, we'd have sort of character play-by-plays, um, we would run through top to bottom everything from, you know, when the alleged offense took place, look at the investigation processes and see whether or not they were compliant um, with things like the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, which is sort of the regulatory rules around how investigations are meant to be carried out. Um, we would look at the actual trial process, we would look at things like um, you know, did that person, you know, if they were a vulnerable person, for example, did they have appropriate access to, um, to legal services, to adults, to translators, etc.? cetera. Um, and we would see whether or not there was, they, they met the criteria for, um, you know, either applying for an appeal or if they had already exhausted the appeal, um, whether they were going to go to the CCRC, which is sort of the, the next level up. I think in Canada, I think ours is called the CCGC, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, so that's sort of the way that we would look at cases. Um, so Cardiff Innocence Project, it's, I mean, it's really, really difficult to get a, a case even looked at, let alone overturned. Um, I know that the CCRC here in the UK has faced extreme criticism. Um, just based on the number of applications made um, to the number of applications actually considered for appeals, um, it's quite low. And I know that they've faced criticism because a lot of people think that these applications are being unfairly dismissed. And what that means for you know the everyday person is that's your judicial system saying, you know, we we couldn't have made a mistake. Right. That's saying, you know, we're superhuman and across this entire system, it's not possible for us to have made a mistake. And we're so sure of that. We're so sure that this conviction is safe. 
that we're not even going to consider it. That's essentially what, what that means. You know, and that's, that's not to say that, you know, every conviction is unsafe. You know, I'm not trying to fear longer here, but I think to have a system that is afraid to look at itself and do some analysis and say, right, like, you know, there's no chance of us ever having made a mistake or ever having crossed a line. I think, you know, especially when it's, you know, it's, it's people that, that run the judicial system. It's not machines. Um, I, I think that's just astounding because you wouldn't get that in any other industry. And because of the way, you know, judicial systems are structured both in Canada and in the UK, there is sort of this separation between, you know, the everyday person and the system. So it, it's not as though people, unless you're in that unfortunate position where you really feel like, you know, you've been wrongfully convicted or something hasn't gone correctly. Um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily, it's not something you would, you would just look at on an everyday basis. It's not until something actually goes wrong that, you know, people are made aware of this. And so when I became, became sort of involved in this and aware of this through my experience with the Innocence Project, it, it just showed me how important it is that, you know, people, A, don't feel this anxiety or fear towards arming themselves with knowledge, even just, you know, in your everyday life to better understand your rights and how, how they should be protected. Um, but also they shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. They shouldn't be afraid to challenge. And, you know, personally, I, I think it should be a basic right as a citizen that you do have, um, access to the to the appropriate resources if you do get into that position you know and obviously I'm aware of the fact that you know governments are often stretched thin um, you know I, I can completely respect federal budgets but you know I I think that people often forget like you know legal aid is stretched very thin and what that means is a lot of people can often be left in a position where you know if something's not gone right, and let's say you do have um, leave to appeal, you, you do have the right to appeal something, uh, they may not go ahead with it simply for the fact that they can't afford to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think marginalized communities are like even, <laughs> it's even worse for, for oh, those folks absolutely. as well, right? Um, I have heard of the Innocence Project and the work that they're doing. They've been around for, what, almost 20 years? Oh, yeah, decades. Yep, yep. Yeah, and they're doing incredible work uh, across the world. So the fact that you got involved while you were in school with something like this is is incredible. And and just in terms of exposing yourself to more and gaining experience and strengthening your skill set, all fantastic things. Yeah, um, and this means something to you, right, Rihanna? Like there's I mean, purpose behind it. Uh -huh. Absolutely, and I mean, like you you know, you, a lot of times we would have meetings, um, where, you know, people's families would come in and help talk us through the case. If, you know, if we were taking on a new case, um, you know, or at conferences and stuff where I've presented and you, you meet their families, you meet their supporters, their friends. And it's like, I think a lot of times if you see a story in the news, there's that level of separation between, you know, reading something and actually feeling something towards it because you can't really put 
the face and the emotion to it. But when you meet people who are who have lived this experience and whose families have been affected, or you know, it just it it people I think often forget that there's real people and real consequences behind it. Yeah. Um, and I I I think to be honest, like it's it's only to our own benefit as a society if we have a judicial judicial system which is working towards improving itself. And to me, that means you know self-analysis that means questioning it that means critiquing and that that means looking at you know have we made mistakes and if so how are we going to fix that and i don't think you can do that without you know without questioning those steps along the way um and yeah so I, it just it becomes a lot more real when you actually get out there and, and talk to people who've lived that that experience um, but you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not trying to fear monger and say every you know conviction out there is unsafe or anything like that. I'm not trying to come across as having any sort of like extremism towards it, but just to make people aware <laughs> that it's, it's possible. You know, it's right? it's possible, and it's definitely concerning if you. I think if you have any sort of system that's saying that its response is basically, you know, no, we're faultless. It's you know you you wouldn't get that in in any other industry when you think about it. So why should we expect any less from a system that has the capacity to deprive people of their liberties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in tr- so is this an area that you plan on pursuing for for a long time? What is the specific impact that you want to have in the lives of others? Um, so I think for me, I... Is it the education I, side? Is it the education side? Is it being in court and, you know, bringing light to these cases? Is it more advocacy? What is it? I, I think definitely um, in sort of in the short term, like the next sort of five to ten year outlook, I'd say, um, I really just want to focus on practice, um, like my own practice. I really... Uh, connected with criminal and with family law. Um, I, mm-hmm. I like working with people. I don't like I, I can I feel like I can handle, you know, sort of difficult and emotionally challenged situations quite well. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily bother me to take on those types of, of complex cases. Um, so I, I that's sort of the area I'm looking to get into. And I think I want to sort of focus on practice and making sure that I'm the best I can be because right. I think, you know, it, it, it would be a bit hypocritical um, if, I, if I'm, you know, sitting here saying, right, the system as a whole needs to improve if I'm not willing to expect the best out of myself. So I think for me, um, definitely focusing on like my own self-development, um, you know, doing, doing things, you know, like, of course, you know, prof- ongoing professional development, um, continuing to just make sure you, you talk and connect with people, people who've been convicted, we're actually working with people who've been the victims and the witnesses. Um, and so we, we provide support to them, we provide, uh, provide um, practical advice and things like that. So it's sort of like working with the other side, because, you know, I, I think it's really important that you know how, especially as a lawyer, that you, you know how to talk to people um, who are going through potentially one of the worst times of their lives and be able to get the absolute best out of them, you know, the best detail, the, uh, an understanding of the, be- the best understanding of the impact something's had on them, um, because you're, you're only going to, you know, 
do justice by them if you're able to best put forward either their case or their defense or their side of things. And that really means being able to work with people when they're in a, in a, you know, terrible state in their, in their lives. Um, and that can be really difficult to do, especially when it's, you know, it, for example, like with violent crime, um, or a lot of sexual assault cases, obviously, you know, that's something that can be very emotionally charged for people. But I think if you really know how to work with them and extract the best, then you can walk away and say, right, I've done the absolute best for my, my client by putting forward, you know, to the best of my ability, their side of things. And I can walk away and say, I have done my best on that case. And so I think that's what I really want to focus on getting out of myself, you know, for the, for the short term. Um, I, I certainly would love to eventually get into um, academics in, in some capacity in the future. Um, but I think just really working on, on expecting the best out of myself, um, especially as, as a young practitioner, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And I love how you tie your development to, um, to your ability to kind of impact and serve others more effectively, right? And I think like even in the community efforts, for example, that we're bringing in, if you want to... How do I even say this? If you want to serve people excellently and do so in a way that will actually bring them value, it's directly linked to and influenced by, you know, your knowledge, your skills, your resources, your access, your network, all of these things. And so, um, you know, keeping your cup full, investing in yourself, which I think especially when you're, you know, at this age is the best investment that you can make, right? Mm -hmm. It's in your knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's in keeping your cup full, taking care of your, taking care of your well-being. All of these things help you be a more effective leader um, and allow you to serve, you know, more people and just more diligently. So I, I love how you tied those two things together, you know, yourself and your development to your ability to serve. I think that's absolutely, powerful. and I I just think like you know because you know I I think a lot of times when people picture lawyers they they kind of get this image of like the faceless suit essentially, but at the end of the day that like that is the person that's up there fighting your case, um, and I think if that if that lawyer hasn't done like their absolute best to you know and committed one hundred and ten percent to make sure that that they are present that they are knowledgeable that they are still improving themselves then then they're not doing right by you mm. um and I, I just think that it would honestly be it would be inappropriate for me to do anything less mm -hmm. i love that and rihanna especially with your transition you know studying abroad and and trying out something new can you leave us with one thing that really helped with getting outside of your comfort zone and, and betting on yourself, right? Because that's exactly what you did. You bet on yourself. You're like, I know I don't have all of the answers right now, but this is something mm -hmm. that I've been thinking about. You know, law school is something that I've been thinking about because this is the impact that I want to have. And I'm just going to take that risk. And, and you did mm -hmm. your research and you, and you made it happen for yourself. So can you, for folks who may have a little bit of, fear or hesitancy around making any kind of jump or move um, what's one thing that really helped you 
I think, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think um, f- for me, the, the one thing that really helps to reassure me that I'm kind of on track and headed in the right direction is I like to set goals for myself. Um, and so at the beginning of, you know, a new year or a new academic year, I will sit down and sort of write out the different parts of my life. Like I'll literally make a heading and say, you know, academic goals, personal goals, like well-being goals. And I'll write a few things down in each. And I make them measurable so that I can revisit that. And I, I will literally pull that notebook out, you know, once every week or once every couple weeks and sort of say to myself, right, am I on track? And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that every week you're going to hit all the marks. But if you say, if you are pulling it out and reminding yourself of, right, this is where I am. This is where I want to go. I've broken it down into these sort of manageable steps. And I've got that in the back of my mind. And I know I'm working towards it. Even when you have those moments of self-doubt or you say, oh, you know what? Like, I'm so far away from my goal. I'm never going to get there. There's so many hurdles. I think being able to revisit and say, no, you know what? Let's refocus. You're on the right track. You know, maybe I didn't hit all my goals this week, but hey, I hit 90% of them next week I'll do better and I've got it in the back of my mind is some something small and achievable step by step that I can work towards and so I think that that's really important because not only does it keep you on track but it's also something that you can sort of celebrate the small victories and that helps motivate you to keep working towards it so even though um I think you know especially um you know in in the UK as well as Canada, I know it's really difficult to get articling or as it's called here, pupillage positions, um, which is essentially what any of us need to get a, a practicing certificate as a lawyer. Um, it can be really difficult to get those positions and that gap between you know, starting law school and getting to the point where you're an actual practicing lawyer can seem so large. And even though like, I know I'm quite a ways along the way, there's I still have days where I'm like, right <laughs> this is never going to happen but being able to pull my notebook back out and say to myself right you know what look, look at what we've done so far you know I'm on track I, I know that this is what I need to work towards and it just makes it more digestible and and kind of reassures me of the fact that I will get there right yeah and you will measurable I think was the the key thing here and even breaking mm-hmm. yeah I like how you break down that's exactly what I do um, I'm thinking about going back to school, so having those academic goals, personal well-being, um, career-focused, you know, whatever it is that you value and you want to see improvement slash progression mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. Um, optimize for that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as you're sort of revisiting and reassessing those goals um i think it's also really important to when you're when you're sort of assessing your progress and you say okay you know what i've not really hit you know the things that i that i've wanted to you know for the past like month or something and and you're reevaluating yourself i think don't be afraid to cut out or add things to your life as needed Mm um so i think you know a lot of times a lot of times i think people are you know working so hard towards something that they like you were talking about keeping the cup full and working on you know you know self-care and things like that a lot of us forget to do that when we're working really hard 
but that is just as important to us fulfilling our goals as, you know, going and taking that extra course or reading that book or whatever it happens to be. Um, but equally, if you find that you're working so hard towards something, um, and maybe you've had a lot of like negative chatter from what's supposed to be your support network taking away from that, reevaluate the people you have in your space. So I think it's really important to be unafraid to edit your life as you need. Um, because I think someone or something, if it's holding you back and not helping you work towards your goals, um, you know, it, it, you can only blame it on something else for so long and, until you take the ownership mm. to take that next step of, right, how do I, how do I adjust this? How do I fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you just need to be really unafraid to do that as well. And that can be uncomfortable um, for some people, and that can be uncomfortable the first few times you have to do something like that. Um, you know, say no to something you might really want if it's not aligning with your goals or, you know, have to push yourself a little bit to sort of get that extra thing done. But, um, you know, it's, I think reminding ourselves that in the long run, it's what it's going to be worth, um, is worth that sort of short term, um, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And shifting is oftentimes very necessary, right? Like your goals can change, especially if you plan out in like three months intervals, something that you can feel like you can control. Things change, your priorities change, anything can happen. So I think being flexible and adaptable to what your current self needs while not losing sight of, you know, future Rihanna or future Naomi, I think is is important. And it's definitely a skill that you, you need to nurture too. I don't think, well, some people might be predisposed to that, but some it might not be natural, as you mentioned, to just kind of like always be ready slash on the go. So yeah, and we, we do need to take time to live life too. Because sometimes I, I know even for myself, you can get wrapped in, in around a specific thing that you're aiming for. And you forget that the process, the process the life that you want to build is not something that's sustainable. So mm-hmm. yeah, you Absolutely. definitely do have to take time. How have you been yeah, doing that, Rihanna? Especially abroad. So, yeah, it's that's definitely something, you know, I mean, law school's intense. <laughs> law school is very intense. Um and moving to a new country is a really new you know, it's a difficult experience. Um there's a lot of adjustments. And so having both those at the same time um, was definitely something that I knew I had to make sure that I was taking care of myself. Um, so one thing that I find really works for me um, is like I love being active. I love going to the gym. Um, I love sort of getting like a really good sweat on, clearing my head, refocusing myself. Um, so I make it a priority to make sure, you know, if I'm having like a really stressful day. I'll, you know, go and have a workout or I'll take my dogs for like a really long walk in the park. Um, Because I find for me, that's a time. You got dogs while you were away? (laughs) Well, I brought Thor with me. So Thor. You brought your dog with you? I didn't know this. It's incredible. (laughs) So you have a little bit of home. (laughs) Probably remembers Thor uh, from my undergrad. So Thor did come with me. Uh, Thor's gone international. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so he, he he moved with me um so yeah I'll you know whenever I find that you know I, I just need to clear my head um 
or, you know, I need to work through something like I'll throw on a podcast or throw on some music. I'll go be active for like an hour or two and just really kind of like clear my head, sweat it out, refocus. Um, I find podcasts are a great way for me to, to, you know, kind of take in and digest new information and new points of view. Um, and I, I do read as much as I can, although it admittedly, um, during term time when most of my reading consists of legal cases, I'm not doing a lot of, side. <laughs> um, but right now I, I have, um, been able to pick up, uh, books more often now that I'm sort of done with school for now. Um, right. I've actually joined a book club, which I'm really thrilled about. <laughs> Um, oh, so it's, cool. it's been a while since I've been able to just read for pleasure and it, it really is such a luxury. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. And you kind of talk, touched a little bit about it, but like as we wrap up, like what's the resource, uh, maybe a specific podcast, a book or a person um, that has really been pivotal on this incredible journey, like moving across the, o- the ocean? Yeah. So I, so what I love to do is I'll just ask um, in terms of books, I'll just put out there ask my friends like what have you been reading lately Mm -hmm. Um, because I love the variety of answers that I get Um, I would say that like personally like I've read a lot of the sort of like classics um, and I've read a lot of like feminist literature so I like getting people's perspective Um, I've gotten suggested a lot of like you know variety of like biographies or autobiographies that I wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Um, So just asking around to expand, you know, your own tastes and what you're digesting, I think is really important because, you know, I think you can only take in so much of of the same thing. Um, And I think it's, again, something that just expands you, challenges you, you know, makes you think slightly differently. So I love just ask the people around you, like ask a friend, ask your boss, um, see what they're reading. Um, so that's something that I love to do in terms of podcasts. Like those are my jam. I love podcasts. What's your favorite? What are your favorite ones? I really um, like how so, I built this. <laughs> so there's one called intelligence squared, um, okay. which have, are you familiar with that one at all? No, I haven't heard of it. Intelligence squared. Okay. Yeah. So they cover a lot of, um, that's a lot of sort of like, politics, um, current affairs, and they do it, they tend to do it like debate style. Um, so they'll typically Mm. get, um, two or three or a panel of people who have very opposing views on a particular item. They'll give sort of like a debate question or topic and they're recorded at these events. Um, so they've, they've got absolutely sort of everything under the sun. They, they are, um, a bit more of thinking ones, um, so I would say you definitely have, it's, it's not one you can kind of, you know, just throw on in the background. You do have to kind of pay attention to it. Um, but I really like it. Like if you've got an hour to kind of just like sit and listen, that's a really good one. Um, I've also recently started listening to, uh, getting curious with Jonathan, Jonathan Van Ness. Um, so he's one of the hosts of Queer Eye, um, which I don't know if you've seen on Netflix, one of my fave shows. Um, but he will bring people in and that could be celebrities or experts on a topic and he will very much ask them you know sort of what's your area of expertise why do you do that why is this important why should we care about it Mm. um so kind of a nice introduction to things that you wouldn't necessarily 
understand the background to or you wouldn't have necessarily thought about so I know like he's um he's covered a real like variety of topics which you know for a celebrity host I, I kind of appreciate because I when I first started I was I was a bit worried like oh is it just going to be you know other celebrities getting interviewed but he's actually um you know covered a variety of topics like honestly everything from like um sunscreen and skin cancer to like how census works to looking at the way like our food is sourced so it, there's quite a variety in there um which i i really appreciate and then i think the third podcast that's probably like my most listened to is one called adulting adulting so okay. that one yeah so that one um it was actually started by a uk um sort of like what are they called? Blogger, vlogger, whatever. Um, so she started this podcast a little over a year ago. Um, and she, uh, her name's Anoni and she picks, uh, really like interesting topics and people who are sort of like experts or quite central in that area and will interview them. And that can be on again, like it it does tend to be, um, sort of like social justice, um type of topics but i think those are really interesting because she picks people who are very central in those discussions um and and kind of just ask them you know explain from your point of view you know what your area of expertise is and you know give us this the sort of um language to help us be engaged in that conversation so she's covered you know absolutely everything from um the way that we view like body image in the media to um she covered one on like white savior complex a little while ago Hmm. like they're really really interesting um and it's a lot more what i like is it's a lot more of her asking and us listening so it's you know we, we get to actually listen to somebody who who is that sort of expert in the area um which i think is really important to make sure that you're getting whatever you're sort of intaking anything whether you know it be a some something written or um you know podcast or video or anything like that it's i think it's really important yeah incredible too yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i like the variety too i like the variety of what you're listening to and what you're reading as well um i think even with like the people that we surround ourselves with i've been more active of like trying to have different types of friends too like because I think some especially in business school like you hang out with business students <laughs> and yeah. um it's much of the same but around like like having like create like people in the in the arts industry or law or um health whatever I find like having a, a wide ranging group of people that you spend time with definitely um it like activates different parts of your brains and makes it helps you make connections too, like across industries that maybe is something new or untraditional oh, what you're working yeah. on. I think it's so important um, to make sure that you've got, you know, variety in your own life. Um, and again, I think it's, I think it's to, to your own benefit as well, because if you're always surrounding yourself with the same types of people and sort of that, that same viewpoint like you're not really challenging yourself to grow as a person you're not challenging your point of view um and i think that that leads to complacency so i think again like going back and making sure that you're you're constantly editing your life in that in that type of sense 
um, you know, and making sure that you're taking different viewpoints and, you know, working towards what, what your goals are is, is just so important. And definitely like, I think, you know, that also speaks to making sure that you do have things outside of your work or your academic life. Um, you know, making sure you're getting involved in extracurriculars or in your community um, or, you know, if you play sports or anything like that, because that's where you're going to meet those different people um, and, and make those connections and, yeah, just continue to grow as a person. So I think, I think it's really important. Agreed, agreed. And uh, Rihanna, the final question on the Power of Why podcast is what's your why? What do you strongly believe that you were meant to do during your time here? And you touched um, on it a lot, quite a bit during your episode. And, and that's been definitely a pattern amongst everyone that I've interviewed is that their why is embedded into everything, embedded into their work and embedded into like how they see, you know, their actions contributing to something greater. So, you know, what is it for you? I think for me, I was always just the way that I was raised is my parents always kind of challenged my sister and I by saying, you know, if you can do better, then do better. And that's in every aspect of your life, you know? So if, if, you know, you have a set of skills or you have a set of abilities and you can do better for yourself or those around you, then, then do better, push a little harder, you know, do a little more for the community, reach out. And so, you know, I think that for me is why, like, I've always loved debate and advocacy and having difficult discussions because I think that sort of pushing only helps us to become better, not only better people, but I think it Im sort of improves everyone's, um, I guess, place in life. If, if you have people out there that are, that are helping to ask those difficult questions or, or helping to go that extra mile. Um, and so for me, like I've, you know, I've always had an interest in law, but I think, you know, when it comes, for example, to family law or criminal law, like you're dealing, like I said, with people who are going through some of the worst times in their life, you know, no matter which side of the courtroom they're on, something's not gone right. And, you know, I, I think if you're there to help to do the best job possible to represent them, represent their interests, then you're not only, you know, furthering their case or their position, but, you know, you are helping to sort of to, to keep pushing forward developments and improvements within the judicial system as well. And so I, I think it's important that, you know, if you have capabilities or, you know, a set of skills or talents and it connects with something that you're interested in, then, then keep pushing on that. Use that you know, to your advantage and just keep doing better. Thank you. Thank you, Raina. Thank you for taking the time to share your story and your transition in the UK and how you've gone about doing that too. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun.